Hello again, and welcome to episode 19 of In Gear with the Shop. I'm your host, Reagan Dickinson. I'm pleased to have two guests for this episode, Jim and Starla Miller of Miller Decals in Ackworth, Georgia. That's just northwest of Atlanta. This dynamic duo are true pioneers in the vehicle wraps business and have honed their craft to perfection over the years. You can meet the Millers June 15th through 17th at this year's WrapsCon at Graphics Pro Expo, which is in Indianapolis this year. Go to graphics-pro-expo.com for more information. Well, let's find out more about the Miller's journey as we get in gear with Jim and Starla. We have a mutual friend. We'll, we'll call him Rugs, just for the sake of argument. He's a guy that's been involved in uh, RapsCon since its inception. You know, he's kind of the brains behind it, if you will. And, um, you know, he told me the other day we were talking, and he called you, Jim, the godfather of soul. And I was like, "That's no, that's James Brown." And he said, "Oh, I meant the Godfather of, the, of raps." You've been doing this for a long time, and so I'm curious. You know, you've seen a lot of change over the years, and I'm curious as to how the business has evolved and how you've seen the industry evolve over all those years. So maybe you can give me some background on that. Well, yeah, for sure. There's a there's a lot of changes from 1979 to now. Uh, the biggest ones were, you know, the the film itself has changed so much. Uh, in the early days, if you stuck a little tiny corner on a surface, it was stuck. I mean, if it was crooked, it was just crooked. I mean, you, you had to have it reprinted. It was that aggressive. Yeah. So there was no positionability. You had to have it right the first time. And then just the printing that came along a couple of decades later changed everything. I mean, it, you know, so the first... Uh, 20 years of my business was just fleet graphics, doing, um, you know, signs and graphics and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. After the graphics, it moved on into the printing, which was that changed the whole industry. Right. And and the materials got a lot better with positionability and air aggress. For the first 20 years, I probably met two people other than myself that did the same thing for a living. So nobody knew what I did. I mean, it was shocking to people like you stick stickers on things and you make money doing this. (laughs) It was was shocking to them, you know, And, and today, you know, there's literally tens of thousands of shops doing it. Yeah. What year did you start? In 1979. I started uh, doing Little Debbie's, the route trucks. I started putting the stickers on those, and it was uh, screen-printed graphics on a really aggressive material. Mm. And there were also cut graphics on it also that just said Little Debbie. Right. And then the stripes and stuff were painted on the original ones. Okay. So from 79, it was more like a hobby for a couple of years. And then I thought maybe, you know, maybe I can make a living out of this. So I decided to make a company and buy 1982, I had business cards and flyers and stuff to hand out, and that kind of changed things. I started getting big fleet jobs. That's when it really took off from early 80s because nobody else did it. You know, when you yeah. when they find out about you, it, the word spreads pretty quick Right. because there was nobody else doing it. So it was really there was no competition, mm-hmm. and I, I had to just figure out a way to get it on there, and I had to invent tools, and there was no way to learn that I knew of because there was no internet. So it was like, I just had to <laughs> yeah. figure it out. Right. Right. <laughs> so are y'all excited about getting back to in-person events, uh, specifically RapsCon in Indianapolis? Yes. I can't wait. 
It's been a long time, hasn't it? It right? has. 2020, 2020 um, was a long hiatus for us. Yeah. For not going to shows. Jim, Jim and I started going to shows in 2011, mm-hmm. I think was the first one. So after that many years of going to shows and then not going last year really was hard on us. Yeah. Not to see everybody and be involved with the manufacturers and Exactly. That's, you know, that's part of it is the networking and seeing friends again, right? I think because I think this particular segment of the market is is friendly and everybody seems to know each other. So it's kind of a small world. And so now this opportunity to get back to doing that. What do you all have planned for Graphics Pro Expo and RapsCon this year when we go to Indianapolis? I, I do miss it a lot, too, just like Starla was saying, because we went to not just shows every year. We went to every show. We went to shows all over the world. So it was um, a part of our lives to, you know, go out and connect with mm-hmm. people. And I can't wait. Uh, Starla will be working in a, a booth and I'll be working in the Oracle booth. And Starla, what she's doing is so much fun, too. Judging the Rap Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Ruggs put together the Rap Olympics, and I think the first year for the MBM show to have it was 2017, Mm -hmm. and he asked me to be a judge, and I was honored to accept that, and along with my team of rappers, uh, we came up with different stages for the competitors. We have 32 teams that of uh, two that compete for prizes, the manufacturers and people in the show donate for our prizes, which is awesome. It's really a lot of fun. A lot of great installers come from all over the world. It's not just the United States. So I don't know how mm-hmm. this year is going to go with travel for COVID, but right. we're looking forward to having to fill all those spaces. I think he said we already have 13 teams in place. So Okay, that's great. It's pretty early in the game. So You know, and as a judge, Starla, maybe give those who might be interested in participating uh, just kind of an insight into what you're looking for in in a successful rap. And yeah. Yeah. Well, there's several attributes of it. We look for safety if the team is being safe with their tools and, you know, keeping things clean around the car and cleaning the cars and going through all the processes that a professional installer should take whenever they're on site in a customer shop or even in their own shops. And we also look for the end product needs to be a sellable product. So any lifting or corners or things that um, you couldn't sell or put on the market that the customer would not be happy with. (laughs) We uh, discount for those things. So, and then we also have a round that's creativity. So uh, we look for the best design and we have had the audience even get involved in that and do some voting and given that weight to the decision making. So it's a lot of fun though. Mm-hmm. And how is the addition of tent and PPF working out for y'all right now? Um, for tent, uh, we still outsource it. We uh, offer it in our shop to our customers as an upsell item. Okay. And that's how, that's how tent and PPF started with our shop. When color change came in about probably 10 or 15 years ago, we started trying to figure out ways to upsell stuff. So we upsell not only tint and PPF, but having wheels repowder coated or change the color of the wheels, stuff like that is all upsell items for us. Okay. Do you find that the transition or that the skills translate well from wraps to PPF? Yes, they uh, they have a lot in common. It's uh, knowing the stretch, knowing how to stretch and how to get rid of wrinkles and 
when you put a PPF pattern on, for instance, it comes up six inches short, but you've got all these wrinkles in the middle. You know, you've got to pull that bumper around to match on both sides. So you pull that whole six inches out on a really curvy bumper and it pulls all the wrinkles out. So same way you would pre-stretch a bumper when you're using vinyl. The only difference is one is applied wet and one's dry. So you got to make that transition. But I feel like wraps and PPF are a closer match than tint and PPF, even though, you know, the tint is put on wet, but tint is shrunk. And it's a whole different way to do it. You put the tin on and then you shrink it with heat. And with vinyl and PPF, you're uh, stretching it to get rid of the wrinkles. Okay. You can't, stre- you can't stretch tin. Okay. And what is your best advice as far as managing growth? Because a lot of people run into that, that it sounds almost counterintuitive to say that uh, too much growth can be bad, but it can be because you just simply can't handle it. So how do you manage growth? I try to plan for it, for sure. Sit down and try to look at where we want to go. So I have to have a plan and then I organize how to get there. Mm -hmm. And I've partnered with a lot of, have a lot of great relationships with our banker and the CPA and different people in the community that I've utilized the resources that they have with the Chamber of Commerce and the Small Business Association, the Small Business Center. I have a relationship with them and uh, they'll help me with going through loan processes or lines of credit and setting up what all the small business association, because those loans come through there, through your bank. So when you're a business owner, so it's a different kind of process than just going to the banker. So I've utilized a lot of outside help to learn and to develop processes that help us grow. Uh, Yeah, that's interesting, Starla. It sounds like Y'all do utilize a a large network of people, be they people in the industry or people outside the industry who can help you with your business instead of kind of sequestering yourself or bubbling yourself and saying, we can handle everything ourselves, right? (laughs) You can. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You tried that. (laughs) Yeah. We also hired a business coach to come in and help us groom the business too. So he he looks at what we're doing internally in a whole different light. Our whole key management team sat down with him last month and we did a whole leadership training just to help us with learning how to grow the organization on a personal level and be able to lead us to the next level. What were some of the things you learned from the business coach? It was interesting the way um, you handle your employees as far as giving them responsibilities and then also helping them to feel appreciated and part of the team and laying down expectations of what the tasks are that they are going to be responsible for and then following up with them and giving them encouragement to move and to take on more responsibility in the business. So it was a real smooth process that he laid out that you can see visually on paper. Mm. And so when it's happening in real life, then you recognize it and are able to implement those attributes to your actual leadership style. Yeah, it's helped a bunch, especially me, because I just had one way to train. And he really put it together, uh, figuring out an employee's readiness level and then figuring out the task needs to be done and then how to train that particular individual. And you can't train everybody the same. And that that was a huge eye opener for me because I was able to see what I need to do to adjust my training and how I need to train people and how I need to encourage them and either by encouragement or example or whatever they need. It's it's a lot easier to figure out now after that uh, training class. It was an amazing class. I know that y'all are involved in a lot of really large projects. 
I think Ruggs mentioned the Super Bowl. How how do you handle those large kind of high profile projects? And I, part of that, you have to manage the pressure side of it too, obviously. But it's the printing, the shipping, the subcontracting coordination that you have to go through. Are there things that you learned in a big project the hard way? I don't know that we learned the hard way. I mean, we kind of eased into it, you know. Yeah. Again, in business this long, the job I didn't. I wasn't just doing little couple of trailers and then all of a sudden get thrown into a Super Bowl project. So we, <laughs> okay. yeah. we, we worked our way up to those. And over the years, we've just learned, I've learned to delegate. At first, it was just to delegate to just my other business partner at the time. Then later, now we have a whole team with Starla and the office people. It's like we all uh, have our part and a couple of our installers are leads on uh, smaller groups. So I break everybody into groups mm-hmm. and We'll bring in a lot of subs. The Super Bowl, we actually had 35 installers come in from out of the state and out of the country to help with that job. So it was a massive undertaking. And then then we got all prepared for the Final Four, and I felt like we were super prepared for that. I felt like, man, we're going to kill this. And and I got all this stuff together and did all the surveys and the prep. And that team, the office team, was just on point. We, we had just done the Super Bowl. We got this one together and then COVID canceled it. So <laughs> I thought we were going to really smash that one out because we had learned so much from the Super Bowl to be able to translate over to the final four. Again, that was just breaking things up. We had uh, five separate teams with a team leader on each one and they all reported to one main team leader. And then uh, I had office people that were communicating with the customers mm-hmm. because like the Super Bowl, we had six uh, different printing companies we were working for. So okay. if any printing companies are out there and thinking they overloaded us, it wasn't just you. It was five other ones. So <laughs> it was a massive amount of vinyl went down in three weeks and it was supposed to be in four weeks, but it was almost 300,000 square foot of material installed wow. in three weeks. That's 100,000 square feet a week. <laughs> hey, uh, Starla, what's your pricing philosophy? Um, as high as I can, whatever they'll pay. <laughs> you know, I would I'm agree. In, I think I'm that's everybody's of- price and philosophy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in charge of profit, so uh, <laughs> right. No, that's not really. We we look at industry standards. Is typically charged across the board for installations, and then we'll price it accordingly because sometimes it's further away. You have drive time. Sometimes you know it requires more installers, and then if you get there and you have to wait around for someone to show up and let you in the door. So we factor in a lot of different things. How high up is it? Is a lift being delivered? You know, do we have to park four blocks away from it and pay for parking? There's a lot of factors in pricing that you don't really think about whenever you're thinking about installing a wall graphic inside a building. But there's a lot of other factors that go into your time. And when you're an installer and you're performing manual labor, time Mm -hmm. is your only asset. Right. So what we do is we we take a square footage price and then and then we add in those factors she's talking about. So if a standard square footage price is this to do this wall graphic, but we have to drive two hours away and then Uh Some, we're going to be waiting on somebody to tell us where each one goes. If it's not one big wall graphic, if it's 15 wall graphics, but the same square footage, you know, it's going to cost more because we got to figure out where each one goes. I think it's a balance. Yeah, it's got to take a team. It's a balance. It, they, they spend the time to figure out what it costs to send our guys somewhere, if it's one hour away or five hours away. Mm-hmm. And 
and they do all that part. And I just tell them what the job would cost if it was in our backyard. Kind of work it like that. We've sent six installers three hours away to a job site to work for three days. You know, they're expecting we've blocked off three days of time for them Mm -hmm. to do this project. And Mm -hmm. they arrived and the walls weren't even in place. There were no walls. (laughs) <laughs> to put anything on. You kind of need those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So obviously we charged a trip charge for that time. And then we had to scramble to readjust what we were going to do for the next afternoon and two more days. So yeah, you can it's, never make um, up for that. challenging, but. Right. So I'm just, was there a eureka moment at any time as far as pricing goes? Like, do you feel like you kind of have a pretty good handle on it now? Or is maybe earlier on you didn't? Oh, Absolutely. It's much better now. We, we know all the right questions to ask because there's so many times when I would price a job. I do it for this customer. And it's always so smooth. And I go up for this customer and I, I show up and there's a roll of vinyl that's not even trimmed out. So it's like you get a big giant roll of vinyl with panels on it and you don't even have a layout. And you're expected to do it for the same price as this guy that, you know, he labels everything and you know what goes where. And you have a nice layout and a nice schematic of where everything goes and so we ask all those questions now. We need to see all that stuff up uh, ahead of time to actually give a quote. So if somebody just says, can you give me a ballpark on what something costs? No, no, we can't. We, we could quote the high price if you want, but tell us mm-hmm. how it's going to be produced, how you're doing it, where it's at, and uh, the size of it. I don't need to know what's printed on it. I just need to know the details of what we need to know. And I think over the years we've learned that. We've learned what questions to ask, and we have okay. a nice set of questions that help us evaluate how fast and smooth the project will go. Yeah. Hey, Starla, I heard something about the next step. Is there a next step for your building? Are you looking at expanding? We are. We are. We're um, in the process of having that built. Hopefully this year we'll break ground and have it done by the end of the year. And I'm super happy about that. It's a 13,000 square foot facility mm-hmm. and it's designed pretty much like our facility now so that we'll be able to host training courses and also do color changes, fleet graphics, and have just a larger place to do our business. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it nearby? It is about an, a mile from this shop. So my okay. commute will not be... <laughs> be uh, longer than it actually is now. Right. So as you specify, as you specify what that space is going to be and what it's going to look like, were there things that you knew immediately that you were like, I really want to make sure that we have this or that, whatever this or that might be? (laughs) Yeah. Right now, when you open the door and walk in our shop, you walk into production. Mm. And so that, and it stops. Everybody that's in there will turn around and look, oh, that's a package coming in, you know, or, oh, that's a customer here to pick up their vehicle. And they don't necessarily know where to go because they walk into a bunch of work being done. (laughs) It's like walking into the back of a mechanic's garage and looking for the person that has your keys, you know. (laughs) So we'll have a a front office uh, reception lobby area where people will come in and we'll be able to receive packages and talk to customers and set up appointments and things like that. Whereas now we do not have that. So that'll be a big advantage. Yeah, that's a, that's one of the steps we're taking. Um, that was super important to us. And over our years of travel and looking at other shops and seeing the things we like and don't like. And one of the things that, that is really important is to be able to pull cars in and out without disrupting work. We're setting it up like a 
like a service area where you pull right in and there's just one door on each end and then you pull in separate bays and there'll be 15 wrap bays in the front part of the section and then the three pull-throughs for commercial work separated so we'll be able to have a nice area for wraps the custom wraps will be all glass so the public can see it Uh, these are all elements that we wanted to help with public awareness of wraps was huge part of this building I want to show people what we do. And then the upstairs area is in addition to that. It's, it's going to be just like four times the size of this one and have an outside area also. So we'll have a place to host place events. Place to gather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A place to gather. And we'll have a lot more hosting abilities. And we're going to have a full training area with uh, three bays separated from the rest of the shop. There will be all the props and everything you can imagine for training. For training our own guys, I would like full-time rap training going on. Just every imaginable training device to help people get better at raps. And our last few years of being in business, I want to explode that. I want to have a place that's built for production uh, without slowing anything down. Nobody has to stop what they're doing to pull a car out. The cars will flow good. Everything in the back's all pull-throughs. And then the office is completely separated. So it'll be a coffee shop type setting when you walk into the door where she's talking about the reception area. Nothing will be on top of each other. So it'll be a lot more workflow oriented. That's awesome. It sounds like you have a really nice handle on the future. So that's great. You know what the music means. Our time is up. I appreciate your time. I mean, I'm honored to have spoken with y'all um, and you provided great information, which I appreciate. And I'm very excited about uh, seeing y'all in person in Indianapolis this June. Yes. For RapsCon and Graphics Pro Expo. Yeah, looking forward to it. Me too. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yes, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> See you then. <laughs> You can subscribe to In Gear with the Shop through your favorite podcast platform, whether it's SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Please let us know if you have any questions you'd like our guests to tackle, or if you have any follow-up questions to this episode. And if you're subscribed to the Shop's daily e-newsletter, you'll know when the latest podcast is available. Plus, you'll stay up to date on the latest in the automotive aftermarket. Just go to theshopmag.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, adios amigos. Adios amigos.